for this time that we have gathered here this morning. We thank you for your amazing grace that, that has saved us, that has rescued us, that is, that is saving us, that is rescuing us. Uh, and, and as we talk this morning, I pray that that would be communicated well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, so we're starting a new sermon series this morning uh, on the book of Colossians. I had, a, I had a plan to do something else, at least for a little while, and I kind of scrapped that because it was time to just dive into Scripture uh, and dive into a book and just walk our way through it. And uh, so I'm excited for that. Uh, I have no, usually I have kind of a map of like, this is going to take this many weeks, and uh, I have no idea how long this is going to take right now, so, uh, so we may be in this for a while. We'll, we'll see. I'm getting through two verses this morning, so, uh, so yeah, this, is, this might go kind of slow. Uh, okay, so Colossians. Uh, a little background on Colossians, not much. Uh, we'll, we'll unpack that as the weeks go on. Uh, this is a letter written by Paul to the church in Colossae. Uh, Colossa is about a hundred miles east of Ephesus, uh, which is uh, which is uh, kind of east of, of Greece. So uh, uh, we're talking, we're not like in the Promised Land kind of area. We're up around the corner uh, into Europe uh, is where we're at. Uh, but we'll get we'll get more into the context in the coming weeks. We're just kind of scratching the surface. Uh, I'm going to have a few guides that will be uh, journey that I'll be journeying with that will be kind of journeying with us throughout uh, throughout this book. Uh, some commentaries that I'll be looking at, including uh, N.T. Wright wrote a commentary on Colossians, which is great. Uh, there's also this book. It's called Colossians Remixed. Uh, I've read chapters of it at various times in my ministry career. And I've heard amazing things about this book, a book by Brian Walsh and Sylvia Keysmat, but I had never read it before, uh, and I'm about 50 pages in, and it's phenomenal, like freakishly good, like uh, they're, they're fantastic. Uh, and so that book, Colossians Remixed, will be uh, one of my, my companions throughout this as well, and I'll be mentioning them a few times, including right now. This is, this is, a, this is what they say, Walsh and Keysmat. They say that ancient texts were not always ancient. That may seem rather obvious, but it's worth remembering. Ancient texts were not always ancient. Paul's letter to the Christian community in Colossae was once a piece of contemporary correspondence to a particular community in a particular place and time. This, this wasn't always something that was 2,000 years old at, at one point. This was a letter sent to a certain place at a certain time. And like our time, they say, theirs was a time of empire. Paul wasn't writing this letter to a hypothetical audience about hypothetical issues. He wasn't writing a letter about broad, general theological ideas. He was simply writing to a specific group of people who lived at a specific time and a specific place and were dealing with very specific issues. So when we read and study this book, uh, I'm going to do my very best, we need to do our very best together to understand the Colossian context, to understand what they were dealing with, what were they going, with, uh, going through, uh, and what Paul's words would have meant to them 2,000 years ago. We have to do our best to understand that uh, so that we can then do our best in interpreting what it means for us. Uh, fortunately enough, or at least interestingly, 
Uh, our 21st century Western world isn't so very different than the first century Roman world that the Colossian church would have been living in. Uh, the Colossian church was a group of religious outsiders existing under the rule of the greatest economic, political, and military regime the world had ever known. They are under the thumb of Roman oppression, and so they are doing their best to be faithful uh, within this realm of the greatest empire that human history had ever comprehended, had ever seen. Uh, the, the Roman Empire was vast and strong and rich, and these Christians were small and weak and poor. They are little mice scurrying under the feet of the greatest civilization in human history. They're, so they're in a bind. Immediately, they are in a bind, with their allegiance being asked of them from two completely opposite directions. They are being pulled apart at the seams, these early Christians, and they must choose how to faithfully live the way of Jesus while operating under the thumb of imperial opposition or occupation. It is a challenging conundrum that they are in, that they are living within. Uh, But we, as American Christians, actually exist in almost the same exact situation. We have increasingly become a small group of religious outsiders existing under the the rule of the greatest economic, political, and military regime the world has ever known. We living here in America, being Americans, uh, it means that we are torn at the seams as American Christians uh, in that uh, we're trying our best to be faithful uh, under the rule and regime of the greatest empire in human history, uh, America. Uh, So we are in this bind with allegiance being asked of us from two opposite directions, uh, and we're forced to figure out how to live faithfully in this world where we're constantly torn, where we're citizens of one kingdom and yet we're foreigners in the very same kingdom. Uh, And so it's terribly difficult. So uh, we are going to do our best to explore together what Paul was actually saying to these actual people, knowing full well that his wisdom, encouragement, and and advice for the Colossian church probably has a lot of wisdom, encouragement, and advice for us here living in the 21st century Western world uh, because they are are similar contexts. Uh, Okay. Colossians. Uh, normally I might say turn in your Bibles, but I'll be here for two verses, so uh, you, can, you can turn if you'd like, but, uh, but I won't be reading for long. This is how it begins. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. So this is a letter from Paul and Timothy. Timothy is a co-author in lots and lots of letters that Paul writes including this one to the Colossians. So that's who this is from. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, I'll I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, And then he says this, and this is where I want to uh, gather our thoughts this morning. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Uh, Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Uh, It's something Paul says often. 
he says it at almost the beginning of almost every letter that he writes. Uh, and yet this is way more than just a greeting. This is way more than just, hi, how are you? Uh, Walsh and Kiesmet say, grace and peace to you is a greeting that is rich in meaning if you hear, if you hear all of its overtones. And, and I totally agree with them. Absolutely agree with them. So we need to slow down and understand the contextual and cultural significance of grace and peace. He starts out this way for a reason. It's not just flippant. It's not how, how are you, hi, how are you. There's something significant about grace and peace both then and now. So let's slow down a little bit. Uh, the first century Roman world uh, would have been a world uh, that, was an allu- that, that carried an illusion of grace and peace, but they were actually far from it. For the Roman world, uh, they, they, uh, they put out an illusion of grace and peace. They wanted you to think that this was a world of grace and peace, but in reality, it was very far from uh, being gracious and peaceful. It was an illusion of grace and peace uh, in that the Romans were benevolent and kind. Uh, they kind of gave the illusion of looking out for their people and caring for their people. But all the while, they are robbing the, the freedoms of their people uh, and they are robbing their resources through imperial pr- uh, oppression. They give them just enough to appease them, to satisfy them, but all the while they're taking and taking and taking, and they've robbed the freedoms uh, of their people. They, weren't, uh, they, they were giving certain provisions, like food and protection, uh, but these kind of provisions, these kind of resources were really just a way to pacify the masses. They, they wanted to keep the status quo at all costs, whatever it takes to keep things civil to keep things on, on an even plane, to keep uh, uprisings from happening, from keeping dissidents like Jesus from, from coming into any sort of power. Whatever it takes, we will gladly throw, out, throw you a, a, a few resources if it just keeps the peace, if it just pacifies the masses. Uh, they wanted to keep the status quo at all costs to prevent any dissatisfaction or dissidents. So their grace... Uh, that they are propagating is really anything but gift. It's really not a gift. It's really selfish uh, in nature. Uh, so, so it's an illusion of grace. It's also an illusion of peace in that for the most part, the Roman Empire was, was fairly peaceful. They were fairly warless for the most part. But that only came through violence and fear and coercion that they would stomp out anyone who dared to be unpeaceful in the region and to stir up any, any sort of uh, discontentment. Uh, and, and so uh, uh, they use violence and fear and coercion. Uh, they, they're eliminating all threats to the Pax Romana and the status quo. Uh, so it's really not... It's, it has the air of peace, and yet it's, it's not peaceful. There's fear and violence that's just inherent in, in this empire. So, so Rome prided itself on being gracious and peaceful, but this was all a facade of grace and peace, a, a dark shadow of true grace and peace. It wasn't real. Uh, and our 21st century Western world, I think, maintains this same element uh, of, of the, the illusion of grace and peace as well. Uh, we... 
we pride ourselves on kind of appearing gracious and, and being the peacekeepers of the world. We say these kind of uh, things, uh, but there's a lot about our, our world that, that isn't the true kind of grace and peace that Jesus came to bring our world. If you think about the world that we live in, especially America, we are a, we're a merit-based culture. We pride ourselves on what we do and achieve, on how hard we work, how much we earn, how many hours we put in, how busy we are. We say strange phrases like there's no such thing as a free lunch. Uh, or you, ha- you have to earn your keep, or, or time is money, some of these weird things that illuminate the fact that we aren't actually very gracious, that we are actually more concerned with what we can earn and do and achieve and accomplish. Nothing comes free, everything is earned. We behave, we even behave as if gifts have to be earned in our culture. I mean, think about it. Think about our Christmas narrative that we put out each December. Think, think about the story that we tell. Santa will bring you a gift if you are good or nice, if you're, if you're on the nice list, right? So even Santa, the most benevolent figure in our culture, uh, isn't very gracious. He actually only gives you things if you have performed in a certain way. And if you haven't, you get other things like coal. It's the story that we tell our children. And it's not a very gracious story. Uh, think about the philosophy behind thank you letters. Think about the philosophy behind thank you letters. Sure, it's, it's good and it's appropriate to say thank you for the things that we receive, for the gifts that people give us. No doubt. Uh, I'm not denying that. But in our culture... Uh, you can't, you can't just get a gift and verbally say thanks. We've created an entire world where that's not enough. And Hallmark has made a fortune off of our need to somehow repay the favor, even if it's just with a greeting card that says thank you. We've created this whole culture where you don't just get grace. You have to do something to either earn it or to reply to, to respond to the grace with your own gift. Uh, It's not enough to just, here's a gift, thank you for the gift. I will just receive it. I have to respond in some sort of way. We want to earn our gifts. So we are a merit-based culture. We are also a a pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps kind of culture. We are individualistic and proud. We can and we want to do it on our own. We don't need help from anyone. Even in the church, as Christians, even as a pastor, I struggle with this all the time. I too often measure my success and failure numerically, and financially. I can't just be okay uh, with the gift that I am given. I have to somehow earn God's favor. I, I was thinking about this recently. So take you back to, uh, to like middle of April 2016. It's Easter Sunday, uh, and, and we had, we had a hundred, or no, 2017. Easter 2017, a year ago, we had a hundred people in worship that day. It was fantastic. We'd been averaging 50-some people in worship. And so on, on Easter Sunday, this is incredible. We have 100 people. Fantastic. I'm so happy. Uh, fast forward to Easter 2018. Uh, and at the end of the service, uh, 
for those of you who don't know, we have people who take attendance just so we can kind of track how things are going and see who's missing and, and things like that. So after the service, two weeks ago, Easter 2018, Robin comes up to me and she says, uh, we had 100 people. And my heart sunk. Like, we had 100 last year. And we only had 100 this year. And then... The next morning or or the next day sometime, I see Robin again, and she said, oh, I miscounted. We had 101, And and my heart leapt within my chest because we had 101 and not just 100. What is wrong with me, right? As if that one person matters, as if any of the numbers mattered. It's, it's not a very gracious way of thinking, as if I couldn't just be thankful for the gift it would be of anyone showing up and anyone wanting to celebrate that the tomb is empty. Uh, like, I have to keep score and be just devastated by one person or another. Like, that's, uh, I can't just humbly accept the grace that God shows me, us as a church, that, that any of us would be here. Uh, and so it, it's strange. It's a strange culture that we're in. Uh, it's a, uh, that we're just, we give the appearance of grace, and yet we don't accept gifts very well. We're, we're not, and we don't give gifts very well. We're not, uh, it's just an illusion of grace often. And it's the same way with peace in our 21st century world. We try to spin our national and international actions as being peacekeeping around the world. We're, we're keeping the peace. We use this kind of language right around the world uh, and around our country. Uh, but if our cultural securities are at all threatened, if our money and our power gets threatened in any way, shape, or form, we suddenly become anything but peaceful, right? We, we give the illusion that we're keeping peace, but as soon as our stuff gets threatened, as soon as our safety, as soon as our security gets threatened, uh, we become anything but peaceful. And we've seen that in Syria this week, right? And I'm not, I'm, maybe just maybe bombs need to be cast at Syria every once in a while. I'm not sure. But can we at least name the fact that we live in a tension uh, where we're being invited to say that that's okay on one hand, and then Scripture and Jesus say that is not okay, and that is not biblical. Can we at least call a spade a spade and say that we live in this weird sort of tension that, yeah, I guess we need to put down dictators at times, and yet that's not biblical, and that's not what Jesus would do. It's weird. It's weird to be in this world. So, Uh, When you boil it down, our American empire is not exactly very grace-filled or peaceful. It gives the illusion, the shadow of that, uh, but it's not really all that graceful and peaceful. Uh, So, when spoken into their Roman empire and our American empire, Paul's simple salutation of grace and peace becomes incredibly radical, subversive, countercultural. I I can't overstate that, how radical and subversive this tiny little opening phrase of grace and peace is. Uh, Paul's words here seem nice and sweet, but they're actually really, really disruptive. It's, It's actually calling out all of our world into a brand new way of being. Uh, So let's unpack that idea just a little bit further. Let's unpack these ideas of grace and peace 
just a little bit more. First, grace. Uh, grace. Uh, the, the customary greeting uh, of the letters at this time, not the biblical letters, but any other letter that anyone would have been sending, uh, the customary greeting would have used the Greek word chiron. Chiron. Uh, or it, we would translate it as greetings. And that's, so that's, that's kind of this, hey, how are you kind of greeting. It just would have been informal, uh, and you would, have, you would have glossed right over it. But Paul does something interesting immediately where he switches this up on them, and he uses the Greek word charis. Charis. Instead of charen, he uses this word charis, meaning blessings or grace. Instead of saying greetings, he says grace. And the readers, they would have noticed this right away. It's not just high here. It's not being casual. <coughs> Paul is staring the Colossian church in the face and intentionally wishing them the grace of God. All the blessings of the world. Uh, immediately, right out of the chute, uh, he's not just saying, hey, He's saying, I'm wishing you all of the blessings of the world, all of the gifts of the world, all of the goodness of the world, grace to you. So Paul in Colossians, uh, for Paul in Colossians, grace is the gospel. Chorus actually is synonymous with the word gospel all throughout here. Uh, so we're talking about the divine favor that is shown in Christ. We're talking about favor, joy, pleasure, the absolutely free expression of God's love for you, total acceptance in every single way. We're talking about favor done without any expectation of return, and that's what Paul is wishing upon the Colossians as he begins this letter. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, it gets communicated as the concept of hesed, a sacrificial loving kindness that goes above and beyond anything that would have been expected. Uh, and the, most, the, the best example of that is the, the character of Ruth where she could have gone after her husband and her son die, uh, after her, everything's gone. She could have just gone back to, to Moab. She could have gone back to her, her people, and yet she stays with Naomi. It's this above and beyond loving kindness that transcends anything that would have been cultural, culturally acceptable or, or mandated. Uh, it, it's uh, this deep, deep grace. In, in the New Testament, you should get the picture of the prodigal son story. The Father's unconditional, never-ending love for His Son. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about charis, when we're talking about grace. And that's what Paul is wishing upon the Colossian church here. He's wishing them the same kind of love that the prodigal father wishes, or the, 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 the father in the prodigal son story wishes uh, his son. Walsh and Keysmat say this, the biblical understanding of grace, the whole matrix of understanding that lies behind Paul's use of the word is predicated on the idea of a radical gift. He is offering the Colossian church a radical gift, grace, the, the, uh, all the good that is to be found in the world. I wish that upon you. I wish you all the blessings that there is to be found in creation. I, I, I bestow that on you. I want that for you. I hope that for you. Uh, and, and I would say that we, we don't understand the idea of radical gift very, very well because of the world that we live in. We swim in the waters of individual success, accomplishment, 
and exceptionalism. We want to earn what we get. But Paul reminds us that God wants to offer us all the favor, joy, pleasure, blessings of the world, totally free, no strings attached. Here it is. Take it, the grace of God for you. Uh, it's, it's incredible. It's radical. It's this radical word that he uses. Uh, and then there's the word peace. Uh, the, the Greek word here uh, is the word arene. Arene, the Hebrew word that we're more familiar with is shalom. The Greek word is arene. The Hebrew word is shalom. Uh, shalom has to do with blessing, richness, abundance, and a far-reaching harmony that permeates and characterizes all of our relationships. When Paul says the word peace here, arene, he's not talking about like just kind of not fighting with our neighbors or, or just kind of being kind and sweet to everyone. We're talking about something way, way deeper than that. Shalom is about wholeness and completeness. It's about every kind of good embodying our very souls. Uh, Commentator Andrew Lincoln says, Shalom is the experience of relationships on the cosmic and human levels being brought into conformity with the Creator's purposes for harmony. That God designed for all of the world to fit together and harmonize in the way that he intended. And we see in Eden, and it got out of kilter, and yet shalom is a bringing back together of everything that has been separated and broken apart. It's about us being in sync with God's design for the world, the way that he created it to be. Uh, So we read a passage like Ezekiel 34, and we get a, a deeper understanding of what God and, and what Paul means by peace. Ezekiel 34, 25 through 31. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of savage beasts so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forests and in safety. So God wants to make a place of peace for them. But this is what it looks like. Uh, This is what it's going to look like. I will make them uh, and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslaved them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety, and no one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops, and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the Israelites, are my people, declares the Sovereign Lord. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Sovereign Lord. Shalom, arene, peace is about justice. It's about things being made right, about wrongs being righted, oppressed being freed, the fearful finding safety, and all things finding harmony under the sovereign rule of God. Shalom, peace is about justice. Peace is about the salvation of the whole person, every part of who we are being made right 
with with God. Uh, It's about the whole world being saved from its brokenness. Uh, Peace is about all things being back in alignment with the way they were intended. No more war and violence, sure, absolutely. But also no more greed, power struggles, abuse, poverty, neglect, hunger, and on and on and on. Peace is about things being completely right in every way imaginable. So Paul is wishing us and the Colossian church the overarching wholeness, completion, fulfillment of God. Every kind of good right here and right now. Grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. So Paul's... Paul, again, like I said earlier, he starts all, almost all of his letters this way, ten of them, in fact. But again, this, just, this isn't just a mindless greeting at the beginning of these letters. This is a sub, subtly subversive salutation that is inviting us into a radical new existence, right here just in the second verse of this entire book, already at the beginning uh, he's saying grace and peace, and it's, it means so much to us. So the question for us then is, what if everything that we did began with grace and peace? If Paul, at the very beginning of his words, begins with grace and peace, what if everything that we did and said began with grace and peace as well? Uh, I mean, this is who Jesus was and how he lived at the very core of his existence. Grace and peace oozed from every pore of Jesus' body. I mean, think about Jesus hanging on the cross uh, in Luke chapter 23. He's been beaten and mocked and spit on, and he now hangs dying on a tree, and he has the spiritual fortitude to utter, Father, forgive them, They know not what they are doing. That's crazy. Jesus offers grace to his persecutors while they are in the midst of the least gracious act you could ever imagine. What would it look like for us to be so full of grace and peace that we could forgive someone even as they drove nails in our hands and in our feet? And the the book of Acts invites us as a church, invites us into this same way of living as well. Acts 14 says that the disciples had been given over to the grace of God. (coughs) Excuse me. They've been given over to the grace of God, to be in the grace and peace of God. Which is what Paul is talking about here in Colossians, what I referenced earlier in Colossians, when he says that we are a holy people, right? He's just said that in verse 2. We are a holy people, we're set apart, we're chosen, but because we're supposed to be different, we are set apart as being holy because we are called to faithfulness, we're called to difference, we're meant to be in Christ, to be bathed in the teachings and actions of Christ, saturated in who he was and who he is. So what if everything that we did was saturated with grace and peace? Grace and peace. Grace and peace. It just flowed from every bit of who we are. Grace and peace. We, are a, we would be a walking billboard of grace and peace out in the world. What if every word we uttered called down the blessing of God upon people? 
reminded them of their goodness and beauty, reminded them that God loves them and delights in them exactly the way they are, where we actually lived and behaved as if we had experienced the vast grace of God, a gift that required nothing of us? What if we lived as as if life were an absolute gift, the favor of God being showered down upon all of creation, uh, if favor, joy, pleasure, acceptance, and the absolutely free expression of God's love for us just poured out of our very being, a walking billboard of grace and peace in a culture that constantly reminds us that we aren't rich enough, pretty enough, thin enough, smart enough, funny enough. We are simply not enough May we be people who boldly declare to those around us that they are enough, loved in the eyes of God, offering people the free, endless, boundless grace of God is such a radical action, uh, and it is so beautiful. What if our actions constantly and intentionally work to bring about the wholeness and completion of the world, a shalom, uh, every kind of good? To those of you who are anxious and worried, peace to you. To those of you who are angry and fed up, peace to you. To those of you who are facing injustice and are kicked around by life, peace to you. To those of you who are depressed and sad, peace to you. May peace radiate from your existence, offering the gift of peace to all the world, Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Uh, I know it may not always appear obvious, but grace and peace is the way of God. When when we look around, it may not always be apparent that grace and peace is swirling around the entirety of the cosmos, but grace and peace really is the way of God. It was knitted into the fabric of creation. So our task is to let the grace and peace shine again in us and from us. Rob Bell says this, We speak grace and peace because is there anything more powerful Then someone turning on the lights and allowing you to see the goodness and life that has been swirling and present all around and all along. Grace and peace is swirling around the cosmos. And may we be people who will flip on the lights and allow others to see a gracious and peaceful God who longs for us to experience the gift of who he is and the peace that only he can bring. So grace and peace to you. 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 And may we go forth to be grace and peace to the world. Let's pray. God, what can we say? Uh, May we be overwhelmed by your grace and peace. May we get caught up in it. Overwhelmed by its goodness. Uh, By the blessings that you shower down upon us. May we choose to neglect uh, the, the too often ungracious and unpeaceful ways of the world and take on the way of Jesus, the way of Paul here to the Colossian church that offers grace and peace as a blessing to all in whom he encounters. Help us to be courageous in being walking billboards of grace and peace to the world. Amen. A uh, couple really quick.